Hello, Cleveland. I'm Alan Keller from the Too Much Effing Perspective podcast, and welcome to Quick Taps, our short cast where we ask our friends to confide in us their spinal tap moments that they'd much rather forget. After all, what are friends for except to rip open old wounds? And speaking of friends, today we're going to talk to Shane Soloski, musician, producer, and owner-operator of Misphonia Studios out here in L.A., Misphonia is where my band, Happyless, H-A-P-P-I-L-E-S-S, recorded our one and only album, which you can hear on Spotify and iTunes. Shane and I met through Bobby McIntyre, who was the second drummer in the Falling Walendas. And those two guys became friends with the sons of some of the Bee Gees. And this story is going to be about a universal truth, which is if you're recording at Barry Gibbs studio, you really should drink your beer out of a sippy cup. Me and Bobby used to play with all the BG Suns in Miami. And we would all hang out at the BG studio. Robin's son, Spencer, who I played in his band, and Bobby played in his band as well. He had a little room where he had a an old tape machine set up, and we would go record songs and hang out at the studio. So the Bee Gees had uh, this big, massive studio. And there was like, in the back, there was this, they called it the cage. It was where they stored all the equipment, like all the guitar amplifiers, all the microphones and all that. And and we would just go back there and we'd sit on guitar amps and drink beers and tell stories and, you know, just stupid, whatever you do when you're 20 years old. And so I remember one day I'm sitting on a guitar amp I can see it plain as day. I was sitting on a Vox amplifier, which is pretty famous. Like the Beatles used to play Vox amplifiers, right? So I'm sitting on this Vox, and I could tell it was old, but it was in pristine condition, like museum quality condition. And I reach for my beer, and it spills all over this beautiful 1960s Vox. And I'm like, how am I going to clean it up? And Spencer's like oh man, that's John's amp. And John was the guy who was the recording engineer for the Bee Gees and ran the studio. Probably one of the most anal guys I've ever met in my life. So I said, oh my God, like John is so anal, he's going to freak out. He goes, oh no, not that John. That's John Lennon's Vox amplifier that he played the last ever Beatles concert at Candlestick Park with. (laughs) You really got to wonder how Shane was able to stay alive after that one. Get it? Like staying alive? I know, that sucked. That is the kind of joke that will start the whole world crying. Okay, enough of that. Our next guest is producer and voice actor Pete Sepinek. Pete learned that the best way to get the respect of famed director Brian De Palma is to fuck up some shit. And in case you're wondering, Brian De Palma has no relation to Betsy De Palma, who was the hottest girl at my high school in Milwaukee. Here's Pete. This is the very first time I've ever told this story publicly, like on a recorded device, I should say. I believe I may have signed an NDA back in 1994, but I'll just sort of, you know, but who knows? Anyway, so back in 1994, I was working for Gail Ann Hurd, 
big time action producer, you know, did the Terminator movies and Aliens and The Abyss and is now well known for the Walking Dead series. And she had just split up from the, the director, Brian De Palma. And they were still had a business together, but they were getting divorced. My job was to be both of their assistants. So I'd spend like three days a week just being Gail's assistant, then two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, sort of being both of their assistants. So I'd go back and forth between the office of, of Gail's at Paramount and Brian De Palma's house where he lived and worked. So one day the woman who ran the office said, hey, can you go pick up Brian De Palma's television set? It was at the repair shop. So I said, all right, cool. I go and I pick up Brian's TV. So Brian's TV had been basically destroyed during the Northridge quake of 94. And I was just picking it up and it had been like six months in the repair shop. So I go to pick it up and it turns out it's this massive 200 pound television set. It needs two huge guys that are about the size of Bluto from Popeye to put it into my Honda, you know, in order to get it out there. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, geez, now I got to figure out how I'm going to get this TV out of my car into Brian's house. So basically I take this 200 pound TV. I don't know how I got it out of my car. I put it down on the, on the top part of the driveway before I drive down there. I get back in my car. I open the gate. The gate opens up. I drive down, park my car. And just as I'm parking the car, I hear this. I'll never forget that sound. I look at my rear mirror and there's the TV face down at the top of the hill. So I freak out. I run up the hill. I pick up the TV. And mind you, this is like, 200 pounds. I don't know how I got it down from the top of the hill down into the house. I get it into the house. I put it on a little counter there. I plug it in. I turn it on. And all I see is like this electrode in the center of the screen, like Frankenstein's laboratory. I'm like, oh my God, I totally broke the TV. So I did what any 24 year old would do. I just decided I'm going to lie about it. So basically I picked up the phone. I called the TV repair company. I said, yeah, I don't know what's going on with this TV, but uh, it's not working. You guys didn't fix it. <laughs> and the guy there is like, well, okay, I'm so sorry. We'll come out, send two guys out and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll fix it. I was like, no, no, no. I was like, don't come here. I'm like, I don't want Brian. Cause Brian wasn't there. I took the TV. I put it back in my car. I drove it back to the TV place, dropped it off, drove back to Paramount about an hour later. I was, <laughs> by the way, I was both the receptionist and I had my own line. So I would pick up, you know, the main line and I'd be like, hi, Pacific Western Productions. This guy goes, yeah, hi, this is uh, Miles from Georgia Meyer Television. And uh, was it, we, I'm just asking about that TV. Was it dropped between when it left here and when it came back? And I go, uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about a TV. I pretend like it was somebody else. I don't know anything about no TV. I don't, you know, I, I'll have to ask around, you know. He's like, okay, it looked like it was dropped. I'm like, geez, so I hung up the phone and uh, I went into the business manager and I was like, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're saying. And so basically she said, well, you know, if it's broken, then we'll just buy Brian a new TV. I said, yeah, I mean, maybe I bumped it. I don't really know. I mean, what happened? Okay. Now, prior to this, Brian had been, he wasn't like mean to me, but he didn't engage me in conversation. So the next day after he found out that the TV had been broken and that I'd been the responsible party for breaking it. And I saw him, he's like, Hey, how you doing? Couldn't have been nicer. Like that's how I gained his respect. I'm like, Hey, this is fantastic. What else can I break? And for our last story today, we're going to hand the mic back to Shane Soloski, who by now has got to be persona non grata at Barry Gibbs studio. Right before the pandemic, I went to Miami and I was going to write songs with Stevie Gibb, Barry's son. Stevie's one of my best friends. So 
were working at his dad's studio, which is now they sold their studio. It's a parking lot. They tore it down, turned it into a parking lot, like all great things. And so we're working out of Barry's studio in the house and there's a, a bunch of guitars hanging up on the wall. So I'm looking at all the guitars and I recognize the one that Barry Gibb played on the midnight special. And then there was one hanging up that I think he may have played in the video for jive talking or staying alive or night fever. Like one of those old videos, the little Rickenbacker guitar. So I'm like, well, I got to get the story on these guitars. Right. I'm like, some of them I could tell were Stevie's and I just wanted to, you know, like, Hey, which ones are yours? Which ones are your dad's so point? And he's like, that's mine. That's my dad's. That's my dad's. That's my dad's. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. And the last guitar was this old Gibson J 47, probably from the fifties. And he goes, that's my dad's guitar. He goes, real interesting story. Eric Clapton gave him that guitar. Eric Clapton wrote Layla on that. And Clapton is the whole reason that the Bee Gees live in Miami because they were all on RSO records. And Clapton said, you guys need to come record in Miami. It's fun. There's nobody here. You won't be distracted. You can just go into this great studio and work. So I had no idea. Eric Clapton and Barry Gibb were friends. You don't think they seem like the kind of guys who hang out, but apparently they're like great friends. And Eric Clapton gives Barry Gibb the guitar he wrote Layla on as a present. So me and Stevie are going to write some music and he grabs a guitar and picks it up and he hands me the Layla guitar. Wow. Oh my God. I'm going to write a song on the same guitar that Eric Clapton wrote Layla on. Like I'm losing my mind. So I pick it up and I go to tune it and I break the tuning head right off. <laughs> it fell to pieces. The little piece on top broke off and then the actual metal mechanism dislodged from the guitar and was hanging there. I had to take at least $2 million off the value, right? <laughs> Kurt Cobain's guitar just went for like $4.5 million in auction. Can you imagine what that guitar would be worth if Shane hadn't fucked it up? Well, who am I to talk? I cracked the block on my dad's brand new Fiat when I was a kid. Anyway, if you enjoyed this TMEP show quick tap and want us to crank out more of them, let us know at hello at tmepshow.com. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Tune in next week when Alex and I return to our regular format and reveal more celebrity Spinal Tap moments on the T-M-E-P Show. Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers, this podcast is not affiliated with This Is Spinal Tap and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. 
Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com. Evergreen Podcast Network.